But I want you to help me pray about something. I, uh, in my own prayer life, you know, I, I pray and ask the Lord about direction of the church and, you know, I try to be strategic about what I preach. And I really feel like that one of the things that the Lord is impressing on my heart, and it's been kind of, kind of strong lately, and uh, I take it that it is the Lord because it's been a strong impression, is how can I, as a pastor and a preacher, and how can we as a church here in the Midwest engage the culture around us? Now, I know that sounds like a mouthful, but there is some significant issues that's taking place in our society, in our church, in the political realm, and the church has a voice and it has an answer. And um, so I, I believe that we can't be silent on some of these issues. And um, I believe that scripture interprets scripture. So what is our role to play in a changing culture and how do we address these issues? Sermons like the blood of Jesus, the cross, resurrection, end times, eschatology, the divinity of Jesus, original sin, canon, trinity, resurrection, incarnation, the great doctrines of the faith should be preached on a regular basis. But at the same time, I think that a healthy, vibrant church should engage somewhat of the culture around us because there is pressing issues. And just because we are evangelicals in the Midwest, who attends a conservative Pentecostal church does not mean that we are not affected by the issues that's around us. Can I hear an amen? And if we're not careful, we can live in a holy huddle. We can live in a little box here in the Midwest in our church and close our minds and our hearts off to the changing culture around us and the answers to people such as, I'll pray for you, or just because the Bible says are not sufficient answers anymore for a changing culture. Can I hear an amen? And every one of you would agree with me by the lifting of your hand that there are perplexing issues that's occurring in our culture that we know maybe it's wrong, but we have no biblical basis to sit down and have a healthy conversation about it. Would you raise your hand? And so I feel like the Holy Spirit is pushing me to grow, number one, and pushing me to develop, uh, I don't know how to do it. I don't know if we need to maybe set a Sunday aside where we preach on or engage it in the sermons or whatever, but I really feel the, imp the impression and the pull of the Holy Spirit to engage some of these issues that we see. And listen, just because we say the Bible is against it is not answering the question nowadays. And so we're going to have to look at these, these uh, perplexing issues around us with intellectual answers. And I know that we don't like that because especially in conservative Christianity, we almost, this is not said, it's, it's almost uh, implied that somehow engaging the scriptures with our mind and having an intellectual answer is not spiritual because we live in conservative Christianity where we interpret the Bible by our experience. We interpret the Bible by saying, this is how I feel. This is what I feel we need to do. We even go so far by saying this. 
I feel peace about this, so I, I think this is the Lord. Where in Scripture does it tell you that, you that peace is the answer to make a decision? See how incorrect theology that is? Just because you, quote, quote, have peace about something does not mean anything. Maybe the reason you have peace about it is because you don't want to be driven out of your comfort zone. So for you to think that you need to stay in your, your comfort zone gives you peace. So, so see how we, we have flawed misunderstandings about what even the scripture teaches. I feel peace about that. that, that I can argue that point. I can preach a sermon about it. Because there's lots of things in my life I did not feel peace about, but I had a, I had a sure foundation that I wasn't going against Scripture, and I felt a nudge of the Spirit pulling me in a certain direction, even though everything around me seems like it was contradictory. And that right there can cause a little perplexing thoughts and emotions inside of you. And I hear an amen. So, so, so I think that we... I think that in order for Christ's point, for us to grow deeper, I think one of the things that my responsibility is to engage the culture and the perplexing issues that we are seeing ourselves in, and it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. As a matter of fact, it's going to get worse. Can I hear an amen? It's going to get worse, and we're going to have to, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, your will, and your emotions. You should love the Lord your God with your mind, not only with your heart, but with your mind as well. If you read the New Testament, I believe the New Testament is strong. And I think the New Testament paints a picture that there are three areas that you should love God with. That is your heart, that is your head, and that is your hands. I'm going to say that again. That is your heart, that is your head, and that is your hands. There are lots of churches who are very good at social justice. Lots of churches are very good in engaging the community, reaching out to the community, feeding the poor. They are working with their hands, and that is great. There are some churches that engage the scriptures intellectually with their mind. And then there are some churches that engage uh, the presence of God with their heart. And I am proposing to you that if this church is just a heart church based on feelings only, and we are not engaging the culture with our head or our hands, then we're unbalanced. Because in order for us to properly worship God, it has to be heart, head, and hands. Can I hear an amen? So in other words, if you're serving the church, but you're not engaging spiritually with your heart or with your head, and that is why in the church you'll find three different of these people. You'll find people who are engaging the presence of God with their heart. And they love the presence of God. They'll come around the front, and I do that. And, and I, I like all three of them. And I learned this principle years ago. So you'll engage the presence of God with your heart. You'll pray for hours. You'll go, you'll go to conferences. You'll go to Benny Hinn. You'll fall out on the floor. You'll let somebody breathe on you. You'll, you, you know, all that. You're engaged, it's all about the heart. It's all about the feeling. It's all about the presence of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it becomes unbalanced if you don't love God with your head. And I'm saying this, I'm not saying you have to have a degree. I'm not even saying you've got to go to school. But what I am saying, you've got to engage the Bible with your head. He's given you logic and reason. You've got to read it, you've got to understand it, you've got to engage it. Does that make sense? Say amen. And then, then, then the hands. And you can find three, three different churches, and one church is all about 
all about service, all about engaging the poor, it's all, all about that, but there's no presence of God there. The, 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 the letter of the law is dead. There's, there's no presence of God. And there are some churches that the presence of God is strong. I mean, the conviction of the Lord. But they don't know how to sit down and discuss the scriptures with you. And the very first thing that happens when they start to discuss the scriptures with you is they become offended at you because you've got a different view than them. They'll use statements like, well, this is how I feel. This is what I was taught. This is how I feel. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to engage us not only with our head, but with our heart and with our hands. Somebody say amen. I believe, I believe it's scriptural because I think the book of Acts demonstrates this principle. I think that the heart principle is really the Pentecostal principle the Pentecostal principle, the spiritual principle. You look at the book of Acts and you will see the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28. You'll see the moving of the Spirit. That is why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It gives us a narrative of what the, the early church did. I do not believe the book of Acts is a blueprint. I don't, I, it's a narrative, it's a story that tells us what happened in the early church. So, so you'll see the Spirit of God moving. That is the heart principle. It's the Pentecostal principle. It's the feeling principle. It's people engaging the presence of Almighty God. And let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. That's wonderful. It's great that we engage the presence of God. It's wonderful that we love God the presence of God. We want more of the presence of God. And I want to say this loud and clear that I was raised like that. I desire that. I remember as a six-year-old boy on the church boot, and you heard this before. I know I'm rehearsing, but it's my story. I remember as a little boy where the word of God would go forth and I literally, literally, would, I would shake on the church pew and start to cry because I knew something was real. It, was, it, it, it wasn't fake, but it, it touched me, transformed me, and it was, form, it was formative in my life. I am all about the heart principle. I'm all about the Pentecostal principle. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. I love a participatory church. I, I like that. I like a live church. I like the feeling. I like that because emotions are not bad. And for someone to tell you that they're bad, they're not bad. God has given them for you to be expressive. It's uncontrolled emotions that's bad. It's not using your emotions correctly. That's when it becomes, when you abuse your emotions, when you use it out of context, it becomes bad. But we are expressive people. It's okay to express. You don't have to, but it's all right. It's the Pentecostal principle in the book of Acts where the Spirit of God would be poured out and people would be receptive. And then there's the head principle. The head principle is Acts chapter 2. They sit down and they never cease to leave the apostles' doctrine. They were engaged in the apostles' doctrine. They, they loved scripture. They engaged the scriptures. They were there to, 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 to engage the scriptures. You see, it's not just a heart principle, it's a head principle. Am I right about it? Somebody say, amen. So it's about, it's about not only the heart, but it's a head. Look at this scripture, look at this scripture. Acts chapter 18 in verse number 24. Acts 18, 24. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but look at it. Acts 18 and verse number 24. I want you to see, I want you to see this principle. I love this man. There was a Jew named Apollos. We don't hear a lot about Apollos, but I think he's a great man. I think, it's, I think we need to look at this. He was born of, at, at Alexander, an eloquent man, mighty in the 
the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now look at this. Verse number 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. I want you to look at it. Look at it. Verse number 24, this man, Apollos, had many different characteristics. This man was able to engage the culture around him. He was an eloquent man. Not only was he an eloquent man, he was mighty in the word of God. He was strong in the scriptures. In other words, he was a man of the head. He knew how to engage the people around him with the word of God, engage the scriptures. And he comes from Ephesus, and the Bible says in verse 24, this same man who is eloquent, this same man who is mighty in scripture, verse number 25, states that this man was fervent in spirit. This man had the heart principle. And that's why I love this man. This man, this man understood the head principle. He understood the heart principle. He was fervent. The Greek word for the word fervent here is passionate. He, he, he burned with passion with scripture. He was expressive about how he felt about the word of God. So he was fervent in spirit and he spoke and taught accurately the things of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever anything we need in this century is someone who preaches and teaches the word of God with accuracy. Can I hear an amen? Just look around us. We, there's not a, the gift of accuracy is not very prevalent in our society. It's not. We quickly, we quickly balance this and quickly do this. And we think, where did I, where did I leave this? What happened to the, we, it, To find somebody who is observant and find somebody who is accurate and pays close attention to detail, it's far between. Because our nature, our nature, our nature, according to Ephesians chapter 2, according to Ephesians chapter 2, our very nature is children of wrath. We're not, we're not prone to accuracy. We are broken people. There's nothing accurate about us. So when you find a leader who is accurate, that is a discipline that they have cultivated in their life. And I pray to God, the Holy Spirit, I'm just telling you, this is what the Spirit of God is saying. The Spirit of God wants Christ's point to engage the culture with not only our heart, but with our head, with the accuracy of the Word of God. Hallelujah. The accuracy of the Word. And not only was he accurate, he taught accurately the word of God, though he only knew the baptism of John. And the scripture goes on to say in verse number 26 that this man, so he began to teach boldly. Verse number 26, he boldly began to teach in the synagogue because that's what happens. That's what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you have the heart principle and you have the head principle, you begin to use your hands in the synagogue and you begin to preach boldly the word of God. Whew. I wish somebody just helped this preacher tonight. Wave your hand and say, preach a little bit. Hallelujah. So, so, so he taught and preached with accuracy, with fervency, passionate the word of God. And then they, Aquila, I like this, this, this ministry team, Aquila and Priscilla explained to him, took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. My God, I just love accurate people. Can y'all hear me say amen? I love accurate people. So you know what Aquila and Priscilla did? They said, you know what? I, I, you're teaching real good, buddy. Apollos, you're awesome. 
I mean, Apollos, you're breaking the word down, bro. Dude, you're my beau. You're my beau. You know, you're you're my boo. You know, I really like you. You're you're awesome, and and I appreciate you. And this man had enough of the Spirit of God to have a teachable spirit to listen to Aquila and Priscilla. Because people who are accurate, people who are fervent, people who are flow in the Spirit and also with their head should be accurate people and they should be teachable people. If you're not teachable, if nobody can teach you anything, then it proves to me you're not engaging the head and the heart. All you want is the glory and you're a glory boat. If all you want is the glory, you're not engaging the head and you're not engaging the heart. You're engaging the head, but the heart is far from the head. If you, listen, what is the true sign of you walking in the Spirit? You being teachable. And you know what Aquila and Priscilla did? They took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. And what would happen in the modern church if we took people aside and explained to them more accurately the word of God? It doesn't happen in this generation. You know why it doesn't happen in this generation? Because we think we already know the way of God. Don't don't tell me. I've been serving God for 30 years. How dare you tell me how to do it more accurately? I am saved by grace. I don't have to follow these rules and regulations. And if you offend me, I'll leave your church. He was teachable. This ministry team, Aquila and Priscilla, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take you aside and we're going to explain to him. And you know what happens? Nowhere in the scripture, nowhere in the scripture, do you find that he argued with him? As a matter of fact, you look at verse number 27, he begins to help people. He uses his hands. He begins to go to synagogues. He begins to preach. He begins to exhort the disciples to receive the grace of God. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Get this. He helped them. What did he do? He helped them with his hands. He had the heart principle. He had the head principle. But he also had the hands principle. Oh, some of us love the presence of God, but some of us would never serve. You're comfortable sitting in the church pew. Oh, you love the presence of God. Woo. Some of us is really intellectual. We'll, we'll argue the scriptures with you. We love the Bible, but we won't use our hands. And, but some of us will use our hands and serve from night to day. And we, we don't, you know, it doesn't matter whether we go to church or not. It doesn't really matter. We don't care to be in service. But we're dried up. The apostle Jude said, you're plucked up dead twice. You're so dead. Because activity does not does not translate to spiritual growth. Activity is not spiritual growth. Just because you're active and just because you're busy and just because you're smart does not mean you are spiritually growing. Does not mean you're spiritually growing. How do I know I'm spiritually growing? The first characteristic of somebody who is growing in the Lord is that they have a teachable spirit. They know how to submit. Listen to Pastor Josh. There is a difference between submission and agreement. Anybody can submit. What is the word submission? Sub, 
S-U-B, mission. Submission means I come, my mission comes under your mission. That is submission. I don't agree with you. I may have a problem with you. But since it's not unethical or illegal or immoral, I've got to submit. My mission comes under your mission. But you see, in the American church, somehow we got it confused. If we don't agree with something, we hold up banners and we protest outside of the church that we don't agree. If we don't agree, then guess what we'll do? We'll join a small group and we'll have a wound-licking fest. We'll sit around and say, Hi, my name is Josh, and I've been hurt by the church. And we lick our wounds together because nobody wants to accurately dissect the Word of God. And if you dissect the Word of God, there is a difference between agreement and submission. There is no submission involved in agreement. My mission is your mission. There is no submission. How do I know that I'm walking and growing as a Christian? There is a teachability about me. There is a submissive spirit about me that my mission can come under your mission whether I like it or not. And, and, unless it's not illegal, unethical, or moral, I can submit. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? It is the head principle. It's the heart principle. It's the hands principle. And I believe that Apollos was a great man who demonstrated all principles. He was such a great man that he had the ability that although he knew the baptism of John, although he spoke accurately the word of God, he spoke with passion, he was fervent, he engaged the scriptures, but at the same time, he was willing to submit himself to Aquila and Priscilla. Is there anybody that can say amen in this building tonight? He had the ability to submit to Aquila and Priscilla. You see, if you look at the hands and the heart and the, uh, the, the heart hands and, excuse me, heart, head, hands principle, the heart principle is the Pentecostal principle. It's the Pentecostal worship that's found in the book of Acts. It's the spiritual principle. Now, if we're not careful, if we go to the extreme with the heart principle, we become mystic people where there is a devil behind every bush and everybody is possessed. And when somebody hurts your feelings, it's demonic forces against you. That's the extreme of the heart principle. We become so mystic that everything's so spiritual that the devil's always after you. Boy, are y'all going to love me after this sermon? And it, the extreme, listen, listen, listen to Pastor Josh. The devil is an extremist. Am I right about it? Anything good taken to the extreme becomes perversion. Food is wonderful. Praise God. I praise God for fried chicken. And I praise God for mashed potatoes. Come on, say amen. And I know some of you that's really healthy, I know you're so sanctified, you never desire anything bad. But since I'm single, I desire food. Can I hear an amen? 
So, food is wonderful, but taken to the extreme, it's gluttony. Anything that's good, taken to the extreme, telling the truth is wonderful, but taken to the extreme is flattery. You may say something true about them, but you just puff it up so much. What's more important, flattery or accurate truth? So everything can be taken to the extreme. So the heart principle is a wonderful principle, but taken to the extreme can become very dangerous for the church. It's so dangerous that this is what happens, that some churches reported in the late 90s that when the Toronto blessing began to be poured out, which was a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, but it was taken to the extreme, and what began to happen? People began to fall out on the floor, and they began to bark like dogs. And so in the account, now listen, I've studied all this in school. So in the account, these people started barking like dogs, cooing like doves, and bucking like chickens. It went on for weeks. There was no preaching of the word that happened. It was hours and hours of hours of worship music and hours and hours of everybody laying on the floor. And and guess what happened? This preacher started having sex with this person, and that person started having sex with that person until it broke up the revival, and everybody left the revival saying, boy, we had a move of God, but... What happened? Why was all this perversion in the move of God? Because if the heart principle taken to the extreme without the head and the hands with it, it becomes perverse. You've got to preach the word. Am I for the heart? Am I for the presence? Is Pastor Josh for the presence of God? Do I want the presence of God? Do I want revival? Yes, I want revival. I want the presence of God. I'm not against people being expressive. You know that. You attend this church. I'm not against that. But John Wesley, in the height of his revival, said this, and I quote, I do, he said, the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness in the last days would be people who engage the scriptures with their mind. Greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness? Because Jesus engaged the scriptures with the devil. No, it is written. It is written. It is written. He engaged the spiritual forces with the scripture. The heart principle taken to the extreme can become dangerous if you don't have the head principle. What is the head principle? I am not saying don't leave this building saying pastor is conveying i got to go to school and have degrees. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that you've got to read the word, study the word, engage the scriptures, and be aware of the scriptures and live according to the principles of the word. But what about the head principle? If all you've got is the head principle, look at it, the head. If all you've got is the head principle, then what you have is an emotionless church. A non-expressive church that all they're concerned about is the accuracy of Scripture, but they're not concerned about the passionate part of Apollos. And it it becomes powerless. It becomes dead. It's a pharisaical way of looking at things. By the letter of the law, if you have all the word, you're going to dry up if you have all the spirit, you want to blow up. If you have both, you'll grow up. You've got to have both here. So you have the head. If the head is taken too far, then you have a church 
who is legalistic in everything. Legalistic. The letter of the law. No grace involved. No forgiveness. Do's and don'ts. Lastly, if you have all the hands, if you have a hands church, they'll be the first church to go picket the abortion center. They'll be the first church to go down to the soup kitchen and feed the homeless. They'll be the first church to go down the street to the unwed mothers and minister to them. They'll be the first church to go under the bridge and feed the homeless, to minister to the prostitutes. They'll be the first church that will grow and they'll add seats out because the church is engaged in its community. They're engaging the culture with their hands. They're meeting the needs of the people. But listen, when Jesus stood on the hill of Galilee, not only did he engage the hands of the apostles, not only did the apostles take the bread and distribute it to the thousands, he also taught them the word of God. And the Bible says when he got down at the hill of the mountain, he healed those who were sick. Because there is the head, the hands, and the heart all involved. There was miracles, there was the word, and there was dis there was service to the people. If we are just hands, church, we will grow immediately. But in our growing, we will develop a church that's more concerned about the social gospel than the gospel. If it's all about the hands, we become a compromising church. Because we begin to engage the culture with our hands and feed the poor and our desire for humanity and our compassion for humanity sometimes dictates to us what we say to them and we start to agree with their sin. I know you've had a hard time, baby. I know so-and-so left you and it was bad for what they did. Yes. It's okay you live with your boyfriend. I know you're having a hard time. And the church is going to help you and we're going to provide for you. That's fine. You're going through a hard time. Just stay there with your boyfriend. Have sex all morning, all night. You do whatever you need to do. We'll help you. Because we're all about helping you. But we're not going to engage your mind and we're certainly not going to pray for the Holy Ghost to come on you. What are you saying? Because I have been involved in all three churches. When I was in Bible college... Oh my goodness, it was a heart church. I mean, the power of God would be so strong with 6,000 people. I literally saw with my own eyes people were healed. One instance, there was a little boy who was born, had a, a deformity in his brain. I was there. You can, matter of fact, look it up. It's documented. This is not something fake. I'm being accurate in what I'm saying because I didn't believe it at first either. This boy was born with a deformity with his brain. And I remember his parents took him to church that morning. And there I remember the power of God being so strong and the presence of God being so strong. I mean, we, we begin to pray for that little boy. The boy received a miracle. The boy is well today. The channel news came out to the church on a Sunday morning. On a Sunday morning. Came to the church service to interview because this boy was miraculously healed. They put the article in Charisma magazine and other magazines about the miraculous power of God able to heal in the 21st century. I was there. I saw this boy get healed. I remember 
I remember an old man in my church named Joby DeBurler who was diagnosed with brain cancer. I was there. Am I right, Mr. Taylor? He went to that. Is this correct? Is this factual information? He was diagnosed with brain cancer. His wife, Jean, calls me on the phone and says, Pastor, will you go up to St. Baptist Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky and pray for my husband because he was diagnosed with brain cancer and he only has a few days to live. I get in my car and go to St. Baptist Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, walk into the room, and he's laying on the bed there. His wife is beside of him. I went to him and I said, Joby, do you believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And Joby said, yes, pastor, I do. Do you believe that the moment I lay hands on you, according to James chapter 5, that the power of God can dry up that brain cancer and raise you off of that bed? He said, yes, I do. I grabbed a hold of his hand, and I promise you, as God is my witness, as I was praying for him, I felt electricity come out of my body into his body, and he started to cry and to shake, and his wife started speaking in tongues. I said, do you feel the power of God? It was two days later. The doctor came in and said, I don't know what happened, but there is nothing wrong in your body. So you have come too far to let me know miracles. It happens. I've seen it with my eyes. I testified that it's true. It works. I testify that the heart principle really works. The spiritual principle really works. The Pentecostal principle is really valid. We should pay attention to the heart principle. I'm all for the presence of God. I want a revival. I want the presence of God to be so strong that I just have to get up and the conviction of the power of God is so strong that sinners will run to the front and confess Jesus as Lord. I don't want to have to manipulate no one. I don't want to have to twist anybody's arm. I want the power of God to get a hold of people's hearts and bring them to a place of confession and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want, a power, I want the power of God to be so strong, ladies and gentlemen, that it heals marriages and restores those who are sick in their body. I want a demonstration of the power of God. I'm all for the heart principle. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. I want to love him with all my heart. I want to be expressive. I want to be like David who took off his robe and danced before the Lord. I don't mind the Psalm chapter 150. Take up the cymbals and beat them loud. Psalm 150 is a heart principle. So get out those instruments and make them loud and shout to the Lord with a loud voice. It's a heart principle. It is a Pentecostal. It's a feeling principle. But... Let us not forget that there is a head principle. See, the Pharisees were so head-driven that they missed the one that was before them. There are people who have degrees more than, alpha, more than in a bowl of alphabet soup. They got DDDs and DDDs and EDDs and BAs and BFs. It's wonderful. But they'll sit there, some of them, with their arms folded, and say, I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
don't believe in healing anymore. There's no heart there. It's all about the dead letter of the law. No passion there. No compassion. One of the reasons that I went to seminary is because after Bible college, after I discovered the heart principle, I couldn't engage scriptures properly. I didn't understand how to rightfully divide the word of truth. It's not about how you feel about a scripture. The Bible is infallible, but your understanding is not infallible. I saw people so dogmatic that they would never change the way they believed. I mean, my first church I pastored, they wouldn't dare have a fellowship hall. Because the scripture says you have homes to eat in. But they sure was right. I started quickly understanding that I needed help. I wanted to be the best preacher that I could be. I, I didn't want to lose the heart principle. I didn't want to lose it. I, I, I didn't want to lose my desire for the presence of God. I didn't want to lose my desire and fervency to seek his presence. I didn't want to lose it. So I went on this quest. How do I get my head and my heart together? And so I spent years looking at the Bible, studying the scriptures. And the more I studied it, the more I learned, Sister Kathy, that the Bible is not against the heart principle. For if you use the scriptures... It really is a dynamic duo if you can put them together. I realized that if I gave myself to the Word and if I started studying the Word, that the Word would work. That it wasn't about a feeling any longer. It was about accuracy of the Word. You see, I always loved the Bible. I always, as a child, desired the Bible and desired to study it and desired to know it. But something happened inside of me. And you know what happened inside of me? It was that little scripture from Apollos. That is my theme scripture. It's in my office. Acts 18.25. That's my theme scripture. I'm not there yet. I'll never be there. But it's my theme scripture. And I learned something. I wanted to be accurate. I wanted to be accurate in preaching the word. I didn't, I didn't want to just stand up and just preach and then not be accurate. I wanted, to, I wanted to rightfully divide the word of God with accuracy and with passion. I didn't want to get up and just preach a, a dead letter of the law to dead people. I wanted the word of God to become like a burning bush in the eyes of Moses. Where the presence of God said, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. I wanted to be like Jeremiah and say, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I wanted to be like John and say, I ate the scroll and it became sweet to me. I wanted to be accurate with the word. Oh, Hallelujah. I wanted to be accurate. And so, so I went on this quest of dissecting the Bible. Page after page. Week after week. The more I studied it, 
the more I found out how sinful I really was, and the more I studied it, the more I found out I wasn't really teachable anyway. The more I studied it, I found out how, how engrafted I was in pride and arrogance. The more I studied it, I really found out that the Bible is a mirror, and every time I look at it, I see myself. It is only through the word that my spirit became submitted to my heart. I wanted the head. I wanted the heart principle. The heart is the Pentecostal principle. The head is the word principle. Hallelujah. The hands, hands. Hands is the is the work principle. The work, yes. It is, look at it. The heart is the worship principle. The head is the word principle. And worship for the hands is the work principle. See? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to have all of it. You've got to have worship. You've got to have the word. You've got to have work. Come on, somebody. I know this is a generation where people don't like to work, but if you don't work, you can't provide for your family. God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And I've got some news for this crazy generation that don't want to work and sit around eating, eating Tide Pods all day long. And come on, somebody. It is a, it is a slap in the face of God that we don't teach our children to get up and work. And so when you come to this church, you've got to work. If all you want is falling on the floor in the presence of God and you don't want to pick up a broom and sweep the bathroom, you are unbalanced, ladies and gentlemen. You're unhealthy. If all you want is the glory... You want everybody to give you all the glory all the time and you want to get in the presence of God all the time and you don't want to ever come to Bible study and learn the Bible and get in there and sweep the floor and wash the bathrooms, then you, my brothers and sisters, are in rebellion against the Word of God. You're unhealthy. You want somebody to patty cake you and you want somebody to come to you and say, bless your heart. We really need you here at Christ Point. Because if you're not here, the church will never exist. Let me just make it loud and clear. The church existed before you come, and the church is going to exist after you leave. It's going to exist. So don't, don't, don't lift yourself up in pride thinking that if I leave, the church is going to crumble. It's been here long before you come, and it's going to exist way before you leave. It's been here for 2,000 years. And Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you're so spiritual, then you should be spiritual enough to pick up a broom and sweep the floor.
If you have all this glory, then if I've read the Bible, right, that same glory should give you enough power to get busy. Pastor, uh, uh, just don't know about this. The hands principle, Acts 11, verse 29. The Bible is clear that these early disciples not only had the Pentecostal principle, not only did they have the, the word principle, but the early disciples, according to their ability, Gave and sin relief to the Christians. Oh, they worked with their hands. They had the ability to send relief to other believers. Because they understood that if I'm engaging the world with my head and my heart, then I should engage my hands as well. They sent relief. They were active. Is this sermon about an underlying problem? No, there is no problem. We have a great church. This ain't for anyone in particular. This is just the Word of God to me. But this was birthed out of my project that I wrote for the Assemblies of God Seminary for two years, where I dissected the book of Acts. And I saw over and over and over and over and over again. You saw the heart principle where they worshipped God and they fasted and they prayed and they spoke with boldness. You, you saw the head principle where they never ceased to veer from the apostles' doctrine in Acts chapter 2. They, they were accurately in preaching the word of God and preaching the resurrection and God gave witness to their preaching. The evangelical word principle Yet you also saw these people serving and helping and giving with their hands. And you also saw the sacramental principle. They used their hands and they broke the bread, distributed it, took of the Lord's Supper. They were baptizing, using their hands. They were active doing ministry. Let us never forget tonight that even in your own spiritual life, I want you and I encourage you and I strongly send this word out to you that as long as I'm here as pastor, as long as we have myself and the staff and the elders, we're all in agreement, 100%, that we want to have a church who desires presence of God desires a move of the Spirit that is authentic and accurate, that's not made up, that's not manipulated, but a genuine move of the Holy Spirit of God where it converts the heart of man and they confess Jesus as Lord, not because they were manipulated, but by the Spirit of God has convicted their heart. I want a move of God. I want to move more, just more, or just like you do. I don't want nothing crazy. 
Is there going to be craziness in it? Yes. Because anytime you got fire, you got smoke. And anytime you got fruit, you got nuts. So is it going to happen? Of course it's going to happen. We're going to, it's just, you're going to, there's going to be stuff that we got to correct. But church correction is not church hurt. But I also want to be a preacher who preaches with passion, fervency, accuracy, where the bread of life is broken open. And as you hear the Word of God preached, there is something on the inside of you that's saying, I need it, and I want it. I want to be the person that the pastor is preaching about. Not some kind of six-foot icicle roaming about the pulpit, preaching a dead sermon, a letter of the law, trying to impress people. And also, see a church it's not afraid to use their hands and to serve the poor. They're not afraid to take the 12 baskets and distribute it to the crowd. They're not afraid to go and minister to those who are sleeping under the bridge tonight or going on Monday morning and serving in a soup kitchen. And they're not the people that We'll give excuses, Pastor, I'm busy. I've worked all week. No. Ain't service. Don't we all work? Aren't we all busy? Don't we all have families? Never one time did Jesus ask you, go down the checklist, and if if you need family time, check that. If, if you're busy, check that. And if, if, you know, if you have all these checks, you probably can't serve. Where do you find that in Scripture? You find the Scripture where Jesus said, you've got to love me so much that the love that you have for everybody else is like hatred. That if you really love me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. If you really love me, that, that's the Jesus we serve. Not you going to your checklist seeing if you've got time to serve. You see, what's the point of all this? It's what we call sanctification, means of grace. You're saved. You are being justified. The grace of God is molding you and making you into the likeness of Jesus when you engage the world and scripture with your head, when you worship with your heart and you use your hands, he is at the same time molding you and making you like Jesus. We're not doing it to bring a name to ourselves. We're doing it so we can look like Jesus. So the question really is, is how much of do you want to look like Jesus? How much do you want to grow? Days of people wanting the glory and not serving, it's got to come to an end. I want the glory that I expect you to serve and use your hands. For 
for the, God help me. Did you all just get what I just said? The days of just wanting the glory and not serving in the house of God has to come to an end. If you have to have somebody come to you and plead you to serve, you please help me. I need your help. There should be this desire. I've got to do something, God. Even if it's little, I've got to do something for God. There's only one life that will be lived. And only what's done for Christ Last. Only what's done for him. Not what you do with everybody else. It's what you've done for him that's going to last. There's coming a day where you and I will stand before the great judge. There's the Bema seat judgment where we will approach. We'll approach him. According to scripture, he'll give out crowns. He'll give out the rewards. Give it out to you. There is coming a judgment day where awards will be given. And your level of service and your motive, whether it was great or small, it's not about how great the service is, it's about your heart. It's going to be judged on that judgment day. Paul said that in that day, your works will either be burned up like hay, wood, or stubble, will be refined like fire. I want my works to go before him. Be like refined fire. Old refined in the fire. I want the heart principle. I want the presence of God. I want to worship. I want the Pentecostal principle. I want the head principle. I want the word principle. I want the hands principle. I want the sacramental principle. I want the work principle. The early church called it liturgy. You know what liturgy means? The work of the people. Because the early church realized that you don't go to church. You are the church. You just go to a building. And the worship service is called liturgy. Why liturgy? Because God is not against work. Because work is worship. It's the work. It's the worship of the people. There's only one life to be lived. Only what's done for Christ. Last. The Holy Spirit has spoke to you tonight. Didn't he? The Holy Spirit has spoke to some of you. He's telling you it's time to engage the Bible. Get your face out of Facebook and put your face in the book. If you spend more time on Facebook and you put it in the book, you have a spiritual problem. There's something wrong. If you have time to look on Facebook, you have time to come to church on Wednesday night and engage the Bible. You, you got time. You got time to be on Facebook and you got time to do all the things you, because you, I see Facebook. You're all awful busy. Going out to eat, doing a whole lot of things. 
and you can engage the Bible and the Word of God with your hands. Now you might want to vote me out as pastor as of tonight, but I really preached this sermon to the church up the street. It wasn't really for you. I love you tonight, and I shared with you what was in my heart. Now, can I tell you something? I asked the Holy Spirit, said, Lord, I want to preach. I want to preach. I want, I want to say what you want me to say, Lord. I want to be your mouthpiece to your people. This is what I have right here. Notes, after notes, after notes. I didn't preach any of it. What I preached to you is what I've been studying last year. Because that's what the Lord wants you to do. 